Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry Audio. Hi, I'm Carolyn Osorio the host of the Shadow Girls podcast. And if you're listening to this bonus episode, then you'll know that this 10-part series took you on a journey inside the 19-year hunt for one of the longest unsolved serial killer investigations in U.S. history. No small feat to find and bring to justice the Green River Killer, Gary Ridgway. Even as a local, my understanding of the case didn't even begin to scratch the surface. And as it turns out now... As a direct result of the show, we have an incredibly exciting update to share with you in this, our first bonus episode. So strap yourself in as the Shadow Girls producer, Brandon Morgan, and I peel back the layers on a crazy development in this case, an almost unbelievable oversight related to the tragic story of the only known survivor of the Green River Killer, Rebecca Garde. This bonus episode features interviews with the King County Sheriff's Detective Tom Jensen and Rebecca herself. From Cavalry Audio, I'm Carolyn Osorio, and this is The Shadow Girls, an in-depth investigation into the victims of the Green River Killer. You're listening to the first bonus episode Survivor. Hello, Shadow Girls listeners. This is Brandon Morgan of Cavalry Audio. I produced the show, The Shadow Girls, along with Carolyn Osorio. And we're really excited to bring you this bonus episode because as a direct result of Carolyn's work investigating the Shadow Girls podcast, there's been a really exciting development that we wanted to share with you. And there's no better person to let you know what that is than Carolyn herself. So I'm really, really happy to reintroduce to you all the lovely and talented Carolyn Osorio. Well, thank you for that windup, Brandon. Wow. Well, first of all, I want to thank all the listeners of the Shadow Girls. I have been getting so many wonderful messages, heartfelt messages from people who really have gotten a lot about the series and that's what we wanted from the get-go is to is to bring a perspective of the victims that um, I'm not going to say has never been done before, but in a different way and, and talk about toxic masculinity and domestic violence and the childhood trauma and all of the things that we feel or I feel kind of go hand in hand with this case. Speaking of which, 
that was really what we hoped to bring to it. And this new development in regards to Rebecca Garday. Now, if you'll remember in The Shadow Girls, and if you don't, go to episode five. We heavily introduced Rebecca and her story. She is the only known survivor of the Green River Killer to get away. It was amazing that she survived. Yeah, I remember it well. I remember really kind of feeling uh, some shame regarding that interview because I didn't believe her at first. And uh, and I was very honest about that because I, I felt I felt pretty shitty. And when I, when I heard Ridgway in his interview, basically mirror exactly what Rebecca said in her interview. So um, that, that one really, really landed with me. Incredible survival story. And the thing about Rebecca throughout this process, I had edited that tape so many times back and forth and I've heard it over and over. I could, I, I've memorized it and it really affects you when you do that, not just when you listen to it once, but multiple, multiple times. And so I was, there were a lot of question marks with her case. Top of mind was why wasn't he prosecuted in 1986 for attempted murder? You know what? I never could find out why that was. I never could answer that question. I had tried to get her file to understand that better. And I just never found the answer to that question. And many of the people on the task force had said, well, I'm not sure because so many hands touched that case. Nobody could give me a straight answer. And they, you know, it ended up coming down to, well, I think it was just a he said, she said. And and that really wasn't good enough for me, but that's what I had to work with. So another question mark in my mind was, why didn't she get this Cairo 7 TV reward that was offered in 1984, $100,000? But again, you know, this is 37 years ago. So it was kind of hard to figure that out too. But this is where it gets really exciting because I don't know if you remember this, but uh, Detective Tom Jensen, he was pretty much the lone detective working the case in 1990, they shut down the task force. And so he was just inputting data into the computer. He became the guru on the case for like 10 years. And ultimately, he's the one in 2001 who sent the DNA that they collected from some of the river victims. Four of them, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it was three river victims and then Carol Christensen right, was not right, found. Right. right. Yeah. So. I interviewed Detective Tom Jensen from the show, and he went back and was listening to the episodes, which is always great when people that you interview want to listen to the show, which he which he did. But when he got to episode five, the one that prominently featured Rebecca's story, it activated a dormant memory. And so I want to play a cut for you. I've been listening to the, uh, the podcast of Shadow Girls. When I got to episode five, I was was listening to the the account by Rebecca Garday of, of her assault by an individual that turned out to be Gary Ridgway, and it re- brought back a memory that um, she had actually called in a tip. They called in the tip that led to led to Ridgway during a promotional campaign by Cairo TV back in 1984, where they were offering a hundred thousand dollar reward for the arrest and conviction of the Green River Killer. It was something that they did during a sweeps thing in, in, in November. And the, the period of time for the call-in came was about a month or so, or something like that, maybe a little over a month. So why this is significant is basically Rebecca was attacked by the Green River Killer, Gary Ridgway, in 1982, November of 1982. She didn't call the police. 
So she called in that reward tip in 1984 during this Cairo Suites where they had this deal with King County where they got special access or they got access to not the files, but the detectives. It was kind of a partnership where they offered this $100,000 reward. That's my understanding of it. And so she called in during that time. But if you listen to the Shadow Girls, you'll know this was a 19-year investigation. And so that was a vital tip, but the case wasn't solved until 2003. Wait, just just for for clarity, the Cairo 7, it was like a telethon, correct? Like a tip telethon. Right, like a tip telethon, like... Here we go. Everyone knows that this that this monster is, is is haunting our city and taking our young women and murdering them horribly. And any help would be great. And here's money. And here's what you have to do if you want the money. There are specific steps, that boxes you have to check to be eligible for the money. Okay, with a little dollar sign thing, like like all of that. Um, and Rebecca did all of that. She did all of that. She followed the rules. She did. So according to Detective Jensen. That tip sheet over the following years, you know, just got buried in all that paperwork that I kept going on and on and on and on again about in the show. But he ran across the paperwork in 2001. Now, that's right after Gary Ridgway was arrested. They started preparing for a trial because they were planning on taking this thing to trial. So between the years of 2002 and 2003, and Detective Jensen kind of talks about the frenetic energy of of that time, as you can only imagine. The time that I that I came across this was during the preparation of all the documents and documentation for discovery, which is where we produce information for the defense. We had to produce all 500,000 pages of documents, and I came across this one. And um, I was pretty much responsible for preparing all the documents that were put together for the team that was doing the scanning and, and digitizing of the, of the documents. So that particular process lasted throughout the the, uh, the time that we were there, which was, like I say, about two years. The last six months of that two years was spent with Gary Ridgway living with us in the bunker, we called it, and uh, taking him on road trips every day and uh, not every day, but interviewing him every day and taking him on road trips on the weekends. And uh, things just got uh, very busy. And I just, the whole thing just sort of slipped my mind. Of course, you can imagine what was going on. And they finally have the guy, right? I mean, I could see how that, it's kind of heartbreaking when you think about it. Or you might, you know, if you wanted to, you could try to go to some weird conspiracy theory. But I really think that was such a crazy investigation that so many layers and the drum that beats loudest for me is the fact that Mm. he's willing to say i made a mistake and i want to rectify it it's just incredible that he would come forward and want to all these years later hear that tape and we we started off this bonus episode with how you and i had such a i mean you didn't have to not have a pulse to not have a reaction to her interview in 1986 and we've had many conversations about it and obviously hearing episode five was like wait a second so i i think that um it takes a lot for someone to come forward and say hey i forgot and especially since i don't think it was necessarily his job he wasn't assigned to it it's not like the sheriff said now tom or detective jensen you need to remember to, when this is all done, get back with Rebecca. Right. How this came to be with me is that Detective Jensen reached out and was like, hey, can you help me get this money for Rebecca? I think that um, she 
deserves the reward. And it may have slipped his mind, but but obviously the feeling that she deserved this reward just never left him. And Detective Jensen says Rebecca's tip was absolutely critical. I doubt there was any contact with her during the, uh, the preparation for uh, the trial as we went forward in 2002 and 2003. And whether she just felt that we didn't believe her, I, I don't know. I don't know. I know that we, we got the information from her and they took statements from her back in 84 and 85. And that those statements were used and were very critical to the probable cause that led to the, um, the search warrants on Gary Ridgway in 1987 that led to the collection of his saliva. We know how that turned out. They were part of the probable cause for his, his arrest in 2001 also. So her information was used. It probably just didn't get back to her that, that we were, how serious we were about what she told us, is, I guess is the best way to put it. What's your reaction? It's a straight line. That's what he's, that's his detective brain, right? Drawing a straight line, using cop speak, using like legal language, saying the information she gave was critical in the probable cause that led to the search warrant that led to the saliva collection of saliva. And he said, and you know how important that was because that's what caught the fucking guy, right? So he's just basically laying it out, right? In, in, in lay terms for like a moron like me, without her, we don't catch the guy. Right. Without her, we don't have the evidence that nails this motherfucker. Right. Without her, we'd have suspicion and maybe him and maybe we'd find it somewhere else. But Rebecca's testimony to the conviction, to the plea deal of Gary Ridgway is a straight line. I wonder what the time period of the 80s, 90s, 2000s, where there's been a shift about survivors, because basically it's like we were using this information in the background but we weren't necessarily talking to Rebecca. They were actively using it on multiple fronts. And I wonder if that would have been handled differently in 2022. It's a different universe right now for police work from 84 to 20. I mean, it's, it's 40 years of technology. It's, you know, we have the DNA to see, you know, where their ancestors were from. I mean, so we've got such a, you know, uh, oh gosh, and just with social media and you can, you can go back through people's social media posts and, and figure out where they were on what days and what they were doing and who their friends are. And I mean, not that police work is easy ever, but I think there's many more tools available to them now. And I, I think that if a situation like Rebecca came up today, that it wouldn't take as long as it took back then. I think it's, it's actionable. And I think they would have reached the, the same conclusions much earlier today is what I think. But I mean, I guess what I meant, too, is is how they treated her as a survivor would have been completely different. You know, she would have gotten social health, social work. She would have gotten mental health. She would have. I mean, I feel like it would have been handled. Oh, would she? Would she? I, listen, I, I think maybe. But but there are still stories out there of, of people who fall through the cracks of the social nets. You know, there are, you know, for the same kind of disgusting reasons that it took so long to, to, to catch Ridgeway is because the victims were deemed, eh, who's going to miss them? Not to, not to be too blunt about it, but juxtaposed against, against Ted Bundy's victims who were young white college co-eds and everybody gave a shit, right? So today, I, I'd like to think that, that that's part of the, the overcorrection, in my opinion, of the woke movement right? That there's a lot of good that's happened. Like if we're here and it's not that great and then we overcorrect and it, when we kind of realign, we're a little bit further along in a, in a very positive way. 
right? And I think that one of those would be hopefully is law enforcement's treatment of victims that maybe uh, would otherwise not be as, as socially acceptable and that I think she would have been treated differently. Like you said, gotten some social work, gotten some, some treatment for PTSD, right? That where our, our understanding while still imperfect has really evolved. So I'd like to think so, but there's a little bit of the cynic in me that goes, they may have also just let her slip through the cracks, unfortunately. And I think that that's why Detective Jensen coming forward and saying, hey, help me write this wrong is, is huge. Whether it gets yes, exactly. righted or not, I feel like just that is hugely significant. I do too. That a member of law enforcement who, who, to his credit, like you said, openly admitted making a mistake and wants to rectify it. That right there is a story, right? Just, yeah. a, just a good guy. Just a good dude who, who likes to sleep soundly at night. Right. I think that's what it comes down to. But let's put a pin for right now in the yeah. on what Rebecca was thinking about the reward. Because Detective Jensen says, like, I don't even think she knew that she had qualified for this reward. I, I think that's what that cut said. You know, but in Tom's mind, you know, he felt that it was an oversight, that she absolutely qualifies for the reward. I, I think that by 2004... We're talking 20 years here, and, and and a lot of time had gone by. I wasn't even sure if she, if that reward would still be available, or, or you know, uh, if it was still in force. Although it, it didn't make any sense to me that that they would have expected us to work the tip, make an arrest, get a conviction, and have the guy sent sent off to prison in in the period of time that the tip had me. You know, and in other words, just in the, in one month, they had to have expected that it would take us time to work it. And if they give us two weeks, why not two months, two years? Why not two decades? He's right. So Tom recalls another concern at the time of Gary Ridgway's capture was the trial. They were preparing in 2002, 2003. This was before the plea deal was put on the table. So they were preparing this trial. Detective Jensen remembers not wanting to reach out to Rebecca or Cairo 7 at the time because he didn't want her to receive a reward before the trial as a potential witness, they didn't want any complications. But after that, he recalls that he did try to contact her. After Ridgway pled guilty and was sentenced, I thought it would have been safe. And I think I tried to look her up. But I, again, it's a long time ago. I don't, I don't remember exactly how that came about. Maybe I just didn't, couldn't find her. I, I don't remember. But yeah. I, I, I do, do seem to recall that I tried to get in touch with her. You didn't want to jeopardize her being able to testify. And so it wasn't brought up then. And then it just, you tried to reach out to her from your recollections, but you just couldn't get a hold of her. It's been so long, you don't exactly know. But but then it was triggered when you heard the Shadow Girls, like, hey, yeah, she never got this and she should have. Yeah, and, yeah, that's true. And then I thought, well, hey, here here's a vehicle um, and somebody that can maybe help me, <laughs> help me get get uh, get through to uh, somebody that might know how to whether or not the reward's still in effect or how how to claim it and uh um because i i don't know that i would have known how to do that i would never i don't have the connections like like you do with it to get her a get her an attorney that is willing to work on it and uh so yeah i thought well hey it, it, it kind of goes along with the story and why not give it a shot I don't know if you recall, I sent you a text and I'm like, this is what I live for. You know, I'm so, (laughs) 
I was so excited. And even though I'd never met Rebecca, it felt like something real that I could do for her, for this person that I'd never met. And um, so I ended up uh, making a specific public disclosure request. And I got that tip sheet that had that dollar. It had to have the dollar sign because, you know, whenever that's that was the fine print, the person calling in with the tip had to say, I want the reward. And so there was that that tip with the dollar with the dollar sign on top of it uh, when she called into the task force in 1984. And then I ended up going to the University of Washington stores, all the Cairo seven old news footage. And so um, thank you, UW, for finding a few news packages that talked a little bit about the Cairo reward. And so once I had those those pieces in place, I felt that the best way to move forward was to reach out to Seattle attorney Ann Bremner. The Shadow Girls will continue after a word from our sponsors. And now, back to the Shadow Girls. So now I don't know if everybody's familiar with Ann Bremner, but she is a kick-ass trial attorney and one of the nation's most recognized legal analysts. She specializes in civil rights and criminal law, and she's been practicing for 35 years. And she's been the lead counsel for many high-profile court cases. So when I called her, I believe it was on a Friday, and I was like, hey, let me tell you about Rebecca. And literally, it was like, on it. Absolutely. And Monday, Monday, she had a letter ready to to be sent. It was called a reward inquiry letter to Cairo 7. So it's getting pretty exciting. And the letter was just spot on, perfect, awesome. And then Detective Jensen, he really is, I was talking with him along the way, you know, we were exchanging information. So Detective Jensen, was just extremely committed to doing whatever he could, including testifying, if it came to that, on her behalf. You know, it's not really the the cops that that are the heroes in this this case. It was was really Rebecca Garde in the way way that she handled herself and was able to escape from Gary Ridgway and later identify him. That makes her the hero. I've reached out to former members of the task force uh, that I worked with, Dave Reichert, Fabian Brooks, John Matson, and Tony McNabb. And I, to get them on board with hopefully trying to get this reward for her um, and just be, just to have the, I guess, some backup. I'm not the only one that's gonna, gonna remember this this reward and um, and how how it operated. I'm just hoping that, that you know they'll work with us and try to try to get to get get the reward for it. The hero word gets thrown around a lot, you know, sometimes in a hyperbolic kind of way. But I, I think, you know, also I think real heroes are, are more often than not unexpected, unlikely people, right? Because who would have thought that this woman would would hold the keys to to capturing and 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 you know getting Ridgeway the justice that he deserved, you know, to be visited upon him. So it's not to sound too whatever, but I, I agree with him that, that she's the heroic kind of figure in this story. Here's where it started getting kind of difficult because all this was going on behind the scenes and I kept thinking about Rebecca. And when I was doing this series, I had her contact information. I was It was given to me by a source and I knew where she worked and I knew what her phone numbers were. But I really felt like 
from my research on the case. She hadn't given a lot of interviews. I hadn't seen a lot of her. And I approached Shadow Girls with the intention of not contacting, well, she's the only survivor that's known, and the families, because every time my work in true crime, you know, as a host and journalist, the trauma that is revisited upon a person reliving that experience is so extreme. And I just felt like I'm not gonna go and knock on this woman's door. I just, my gut and everything was just, I, I don't wanna do it. And so not because I didn't wanna talk to her, but because I just didn't wanna put her through this. And so I decided yeah. to, but I wanted to give her an opportunity to tell her story. And so I just went to her work and dropped off my business card and said, hey, if you wanna talk about this, you know, give me a call and I left it there and that and that was it. And she never she never contacted me. And I felt good about that. I felt that was the right thing to do. So now all this is going on and she still doesn't know. And the only reason why I didn't call her was because then you're 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 talking about like this person calling from outer space, you know, saying, Hi Rebecca. It just was like, what if it didn't work? And I'm setting her up to have this tremendous fall. And I and I can oh. only imagine how disappointed she would be another person letting her down. And I just did not want to do that, but I had to do it, right? Yeah. I did speak with Rebecca about the reward, and we'll definitely get to that. But first, if you'll recall, Detective Jensen talked about Rebecca being a hero for many things, which included how she handled herself and how she was able to get away from Gary Ridgway. Here she is tragically describing what 49 other young women and teens went through at the hands of Gary Ridgway as he attempted to strangle Rebecca. She said his grip on her was so intense that she felt like she was trying to breathe in from her eyes, just so desperate for air. I was breathing through whatever air passage I had left. He was covering my mouth and my neck. It was just horrible. Just, even rehashing it right now is just, it, it, you know, it's difficult. Anybody would think that this would be a very traumatic thing to relive. So we're not going to, I didn't go into a lot of detail about the actual attack, but we did talk a little bit about what she went through in those woods when Gary Ridgway nearly murdered her. And she fought back with everything she had. Where I was at in the woods, there was a trailer park, and I ran and knocked on a couple of doors at the trailer park, and I asked them to let me in, you know, because I was trying to get away from Ridgeway, and one of them let me in. You know, everything happened so fast. It was just so fast. I mean, I didn't have time to... to to mess around. I had to just leap and run as fast as I could. It just was pure luck that I actually got somebody to let me in because the first people didn't. They were concerned and asked why I was, you know, knocking on their door and I explained to them that there was someone out there that was trying to kill me. It was a nice couple and they, they believed me, okay? With them believing me, they let me in. I said, someone is trying to kill me. Please let me in. So then they took me back to my place in Burien. Wow. Sounds straight out of a, I mean, a horror movie. Right, like you can see it, right? You can see her like kind of running and, and 
knocking on doors, someone's trying to kill me, people going, ah, get out of here, right? Slam the door and then you have a good Samaritan that, that you know, effectively saves your life. So she was in shock. She could barely talk for a week because the extent of the strangulation. No, I, I didn't go to the hospital. I just, just wasn't thinking that I was supposed to do that. I didn't know. And I was probably really, really scared at that point of being um, anywhere. So for Rebecca, she's incredibly grateful that she survived. But her life since has been a constant struggle. Oh, it was about 2008 when I saw a psychiatrist. I told her all the things that I was going through, and they prescribed Seroquel and Trazodone for me to take. But little did I know I would be taking this stuff for the rest of my life. So it is what it is. I mean, I wish I, wish I didn't have this, but at least I was smart enough to get some help with it. There's been times where I do have panic attacks and anxiety, and I had a hard time going to places like downtown Seattle. Just places where I'm not familiar. That's where I'm more cautious than anything. Now I have transportation that picks me up at my door, so I'm not walking around by myself anymore because I couldn't do that no more. Okay, because of the episodes, I went and got a transportation that takes me to where I have to go and brings me back. <laughs> so, in other words, you know, that, that part of my life is, is out, too. I mean, you know, normal people can go walk wherever they want or take a walk. But I, I can't do that. I can't. I do not feel comfortable walking around anymore. I mean, it's, I'm not a psychiatrist, but PTSD, right? Like she's afraid to go on people to come pick her up and bring her home, right? An otherwise physically capable woman has this emotional block because of an event that happened 40 something years ago to her, almost 40 years ago. When we were talking about, it's, you know, during our sessions about the, what we wanted for the podcast, we wanted to bring to it and the childhood trauma was such a huge, even though she wasn't a child she was 19, which our brains aren't even fully formed, I think, until 25. I mean, that was such a traumatic event that has literally dominated and it it completely makes sense. So I just want to recap, Brandon. I know that it gets really confusing, the case following it, especially over so many years. So the attack against Rebecca happened in November of 1982. Rebecca was so afraid and just didn't come forward until she saw the reward for information on Cairo 7 that sweeps with the $100,000 reward for a tip that would lead to the arrest and conviction of the Green River Killer. In November of 1984, she called in with her story, asked about the reward. The dollar sign was at the top of that tip sheet. And Rebecca knew that what she was telling them was important. And I just remember that so clearly from her 1986 interview. Like you could tell she thought and believed with all of her heart that this was the Green River Killer. And hear from her words why she knew that this information was hugely important when she called in. I actually did because, you know, it happened to me. So there was just me telling the truth about having a horrendous attack. And the fact of the matter, if I didn't live, they wouldn't have gotten the information at all. (laughs) 
kind of wears out. And that, that's a very scary feeling. I mean, a lot of people that have met me can't believe what I went through. And it's really, really um, a shock to find out that I bit the uh, serial killer and got away. That's what saved me, was me biting him. You know, to be fair to Cairo 7, the sheriff's office never contacted them to let them know that this is my understanding about that once everything, once the dust settled with the trial and everything. And so Rebecca, from my interview with her, has just been kind of waiting for someone to get back to her. That's one of my problems with this. Like, why wouldn't Cairo 7 gladly offer this money and say, see, because of the sweepstakes that we set up, a telethon that we set up, we're responsible for it. They could position themselves as a responsible party for getting Ridgeway off the streets, right? Like they, you would think that they would want to. What a boon that would be for their brand. Right, but here's the twist. Here's the twist, Brandon. I think that this case went on for so long. There was probably the news director in 1984 was not the same news director, you know how news is, <laughs> in, in 2000, 2001. No way. No way. So I think that it's like no gatekeeper. I mean, we are so lucky that we even got this. You know, it's not luck. It's because Detective Jensen saved, knew where that that tip was. You know, he recalled. And that's because there's so many things about Rebecca's file that are gone. The fact that this it's almost like kismet that it's meant to be that this is her time. You know, if you believe in that sort of thing, like it, I wish it would have happened back in the day because I'm sure she could have used it back then. And she really needs it now, you know, according to her, which who wouldn't need one hundred thousand dollars. But like she, you know, has been waiting this whole time. I just felt like the system wasn't working with me at all. I mean, like I I, I helped out the case and everything. And in the end, all I got was the, the side effects of of that what causes, you know, PTSD. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? I'm trying to, you know, find some, to, some, some practice, some empathy and put myself in her shoes for all of these years, right? Watching all of this stuff unfold and she's just kind of, you know, suffering silently in, in this kind of awkward state of expectation of some kind of recognition. You know, that's, that's, it's, it's tough to think about. We'll be right back with the Shadow Girls after a word from our sponsors. And now we continue with the Shadow Girls. I ended up sending an, uh, an email to Ann Bremner and Detective Jensen after my conversation with Rebecca when I first called her and like, you know, laid the bombshell and I tried to do it, you know, delicately and just like, because I just had a feeling she was going to be really raw, that she was going to be really nervous, that she was going to be skeptical. And, you know, she's been let down so many times. So I really wanted to just kind of, because it's a lot to take, you know, it's a lot to take. Uh, But one of the first things Rebecca said to me was, thank you for believing me. I mean, that's so huge. Like not being believed is, is like, or she feels like her story has never fully been told in her, in her words. And when I told her about Detective Jensen, she was just gobsmacked and nearly in disbelief when I told her about Anne agreeing to help her. And I sent her the letter that Anne wrote on her behalf. I just felt like 
I wanted this woman to know she has so many people in her corner and to know that Detective Jensen, you know, cashed in some chits and basically talked to the King County Sheriff's Office and said, hey, you guys, I need some backup here. I, I want everybody to know that you just, in our minds, you deserve this reward. Uh, there shouldn't be a time limit. There was a time limit within the the sweeps, which I think was 30 days, but it shouldn't have been solved within 30 days, right? Like, that's the kind of rub, like how long, what was the expiration date on this, right? This is what Rebecca thought of Anne's letter. I read the letter she wrote to Cairo, and um, it was a really good letter stating all the facts that were true, that happened. I, I had a feeling that I was going to need help with this because um, it seems like I've been ignored all these years. You know, totally ignored. Wow. Is Bremner going to get her like 100K like plus interest for 30 years? Well, that's, she what she, that's what she put in her reward letter. So understandably, Brandon, Rebecca, you can hear it in her voice. Like she, she wants it, but she does, you know, that disappointment and she doesn't want to get her hopes up too high. I just, I just feel like I, I never got the last word in, but I mean, but I did. I'm, I'm the one with, with the story that, that is horrific and, and my, my life is, is, is um, a struggle, struggle. It is. I'm just hoping that we get some kind of response. And so it's, it's not over yet. It's just the beginning for now. But it's been um, 37 years in the process. So I don't know anything till I hear something good happen. And so far, everything's going good, but we need to hear from them. I mean, at this point, you guys are on my team, but it's still the same thing. Channel Seven's not doing anything at all yet to um, give me what I'm entitled to. You know, that's that's what the, the deal was. So where is it at now, Brandon? We are waiting for Cairo Seven to respond to the reward inquiry letter that Ann sent. I also sent the Cairo Seven newsroom an email. You know, just kind of like Ann's inquiry didn't mention kind of the behind the scenes of what was happening with Detective Tom Jensen and the Shadow Girls podcast and how that all kind of evolved and came together. So I really just summed it up for them. And then I sent them a copy of the tip sheet with the dollar sign. And then I asked for an interview because I told them I was going to be doing these interviews and I wanted their response and to see what their thoughts were and give them an opportunity to, you know, if they're still ruminating over it, fine, you know, because, you know, this is all fairly new. So I'm still waiting yeah. to hear back. Well, what do you think about us? Like maybe, and, and we haven't discussed this beforehand, listeners, honestly, this is just coming up. Why don't we put like a, a number for the Cairo 7 station in the show notes? We could ask the Shadow Girls listeners to call in and demand uh, the reward money for Rebecca. Can we do that? Put that number up there for her to see people supporting her, people wanting to yeah. hear and seeing her. Hey, I wanted to let you know that the more Brandon and I thought about Rebecca's story and Cairo 7's reward after we recorded the bonus episode, we came to the conclusion that asking our listeners to call into Cairo 7 demanding that reward for Rebecca was premature. 
Admittedly, it's easy to get swept up in the excitement when you hear the facts of this reward coming to light and then knowing what this kind of money would mean to Rebecca financially, but also emotionally. And historically, setting the record straight of her personal story of survival and this tip that she gave during the Cairo reward sweeps and how that information and her survival was the key to the eventual capture and conviction of Gary Ridgway, who would admit to murdering 49 victims, teens and young women who never got to say what happened. And here we have Rebecca and her story, who did get away. The thing is, everything that's come to light so far as a result of the Shadow Girls podcast is that Rebecca's failure to receive the $100,000 reward to date, quite possibly and believably, I think, when you know the facts of the case, could very well be an egregious oversight. It's definitely a hard pill to swallow, to be sure, but we're hoping that once Cairo 7 has all the information, that they will see it as we do, a tragic oversight, and we'll want to make that right, and we want to give them the reasonable time to do so. She's not being ignored anymore. Her story needs to be told from her own words. It is vital to this case that's never going to go away. It's always going to be here, you know, just because of the length and the history. It's rare that you have a situation like this where this is something that we love to do as storytellers into the the dark recesses of kind of the human condition where actually something good could come out of it unexpectedly, right? Because you didn't really come into this saying, I'm going to get Rebecca paid. You came into this wanting to shed some light on the victims of this terrible, you know, you know crime spree. Um, And then as a result of your honest work, uh, there's a chance for us to really do some good for a woman that deserves it. And that's that's the real gift of the show so far. Kudos to everybody involved and and to Jensen um, and his kind of humility in the face of this. And, uh, you know, let's just let's just keep pushing this ball up the hill and we'll see what happens. Carolyn, thank you so much. And uh, and our yeah. listeners, we thank you so yes. much. And if you haven't, yes, recommend absolutely. it to a friend. Um, I'm really happy with this bonus episode and I'll be even happier with hopefully the next bonus episode when we can say that Rebecca's been paid. As of this recording on April 27th, 2022, attorney Ann Bremner, remember she's the one that sent that letter of reward inquiry on Rebecca's behalf. She heard back from Cairo 7's attorney and they are challenging the notion that they're still the responsible party because the station has been bought and sold twice since 1984. But the fight will continue, potentially through the court system. Because a debt is owed to Rebecca, she helped deliver justice, not only for the community, but also some resolution for the families of the victims. Promises were made, and we're here to see that those promises are kept. Stay tuned for updates. The Shadow Girls is a Cavalry Audio production in association with iHeartRadio. Our producer is Brandon Morgan. We're executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. For Cavalry Audio, I'm Carolyn Osorio. Our post-production supervisor is Casey Wayland. Supervising sound editor, Victoria Chang. Edited by Joey Jordan. <laughs>